Welcome back for another episode of Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue, joined today by Brian O'Connell. Uh, we're coming to you after the Revolution's 0-0 draw against the Seattle Sounders. Not the most exciting game you'll see this season. Uh, as the Revolution managed just one shot on target and Seattle managed just one shot on target. I think Seattle's shot on target came from midfield, too, on a, let's just say, very hopeful attempt to catch Matt Turner off his line when he wasn't really that far off his line to begin with. Uh, and the Revolution's one shot on target, I'm not sure, was actually on target. Um, so, yeah, just to, to put it mildly, a pretty boring, dire performance from, from both sides as Seattle was content um, having come in on short rest, having having a Wednesday game in Colorado, which is never an easy place to play, uh, and they'd gotten a, a victory there, but they seemed content in this one to, to come away with a draw, and they bunkered in, and they did just that um, as the Revolution were unable to, to break it down. Uh, Brian, what, what were your thoughts after this performance from the Revolution? Uh, as I said, not the, not the, uh, the most exciting match you've seen this season from them. No, it felt a lot like in one of those early season uh, games, March games at Gillette, where the wind is howling and there's and both teams struggle for offense. So um, obviously that wasn't the case last night. It was uh, simply a, a case of Seattle bunkering in and um, basically playing for the point. And um, after the game, uh, Friedel said that you know Brian Schmetzer basically apologized for playing the way that they played. Um, and Friedel actually said that he was uh, he was surprised that they played that way. Um, which I'm not sure why he's all surprised. I know he mentioned something about how you know Seattle had the quality to certainly play uh, a more a more lively game, but um, you know when you look at when you look at the you know what what the uh, what the Sounders are coming into, you know playing a midweek game and playing their third game in eight days. I mean, you know, really, what 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 else are you going to expect other than a team that's playing? For a draw, so I mean, you know, it's not like they're top of the table. And even if they were top of the table, they're probably still playing for a draw. I know that they're struggling this season, but um, you know, in light of that, you know, it was fairly obvious that they were uh, that they were playing for the draw. Um, they were trying to basically play negative soccer throughout. And I'm just kind of surprised that you know that Friedel would mention that he was surprised that uh, they didn't play a more loudly game. I mean, perhaps it was a little bit more, a little bit of win- window dressing, but I still think that you know you have to. You have to get your team ready for the possibility that a team like Seattle coming into their seventh game, uh, their third game in, in eight days, is, is going to play that kind of game. And the fact that the Revs didn't seem prepared for it, or if they were, didn't seem to execute, um, I think is a little bit of an indictment on um, Coach Friedel as, uh, as uh, you know, getting his team ready for that kind of game. Yeah, and we've seen in, in games like this where you'd think the Revolution would want to be a bit more attacking, we've seen... Um, Kellen Rowe sometimes play in central midfield, um, which, you know, obviously he gives a bit more of a attacking presence than, you know, say Scott Caldwell does. Were you a bit surprised to see that, you know, A, he was starting this game on the right and, and B, that, you know, Caldwell and Casado were the defensive midfielders again, as you were talking about, knowing that, you know, Seattle was probably going to play defensively? Yeah, I was a little surprised, but, um, you know, it seemed like, uh, it seemed like, um, that, uh, that, um, you know, it was the kind of game that I think, that I think uh, Friedel kind of wanted to see what he could get as far as the pairing goes with uh, Caicedo and Caldwell. I think it might have been just for the fact that you get a little bit more of a defensive presence from Caldwell. You get a little bit more reliability back there. And obviously you get a little bit more offense from uh, Rowe out in the wing. So, I mean, I guess that's really my only thought is that maybe he he really wanted he really wanted to have a little bit more uh, between Rowe and, uh, and Caldwell, a little bit more stability um, with, uh, with Caicedo back there. Because, um, you know, uh, we were talking about before the game, a lot of the writers were saying that, you know, Caicedo's been doing a lot of running lately. He's covering a lot of ground. Um, so I think that maybe it was just to kind of give a little bit more 
a little more stability in that spot, given the fact that Caicedo's been, Caicedo has been kind of like the engine of that midfield, just you know, basically covering, putting out a lot of fires, and basically doing a lot of a lot of little things to make sure that uh, that the holes are holes are plugged and the um, the passing lanes are are clogged. But um, I guess that's really my only thought. Um, and that you get a little more offense from Roa on the wing, obviously. Yeah, and it, it seemed to me, too, it struck me in this game that, you know, the Revolution had trouble playing through the middle. Uh, Fagundes was, you know, limited in touches. I believe he only had 41 in this one, which is, you know, pretty low for him. Um, compared to Panilla, who had 59, and Roa, who had almost double what Fagundes had with 76. Uh, Casado only had 53 as well, and, and I believe Caldwell had 40 before he was taken off. Um, even the uh, the center backs had less touches than usual, 58 for De La Maya and 67 for Annie Baba, whereas Farrell had 103. I was just uh, about to say <laughs> that. Leading the team in touches. Um, <laughs> do you you know do you think it was a problem that the Revs didn't get Fagundes the ball enough, or was it just what Seattle was doing, you know, clogging the middle with, with, with lots of numbers? I think it was a lot. I think it had more to do with what Seattle was doing. I think I think they were, uh, I think both uh, Chad Marshall and, and Kim Kee, were just sensational, um, really kind of clogging that, that central channel. And um, and just really making it as difficult as possible for the refs to generate chances because you know early in the game we saw we saw a little bit of movement on the wings but you know I, you know ultimately I think that it was this was the kind of game that they really needed somebody who could who would give them better crossing uh, and obviously um, you know when one when one of your best players is unavailable for that that being Chris Tierney it's kind of you're going to struggle to get those kinds of crosses to kind of stretch that defense so I think Seattle took advantage of the fact that you know the refs aren't a very good crossing team this year and that they do like to play through that central channel. And I think that they, I think honestly, I mean, if I, I think that John, I think that, um, Brian Schmetzer just basically out coached, uh, Brad Friedel in that respect, because he, he knew that the revs were going to come, come into this game. He knew that the book on the revs is that they like to, they like to attack down that central channel. And he really got a great performance from Kim Kihi because, you know, I, I really hadn't heard a lot about him before that game, obviously. Um, you know, uh, He's kind of subbing, subbing right now for uh, Roman Torres. So, um, you know, with him and Chad Marshall, I just think that they had a really, really good game, and um, I think that they, uh, they were, they, they certainly showed up for it, and I think they, they, they did well to, uh, to frustrate the Revs' offense in that, in that central channel. Yeah, and you mentioned crossing. I think that was probably one of the reasons that they brought Somi on at halftime was to, you know, to perhaps get more crossing because that's, you know, something that we've. Heard was a good attribute for him, but I don't think we've actually seen all that much of it this season. And he had three cross attempts uh, after coming on at halftime, but connected with, with zero of them. They actually, the only guy on the field that did pretty well with crossing was Fagundes. Uh, when he drifted wide, he, he had, had six cross attempts and connected on four. But, uh, you know, Farrell, I don't think, had much success. He had five cross attempts connected on one. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what you have to do in a game like this is find a way to stretch the field and get those crosses in. But those were, were just lacking. And that kind of leads to, to my takeaway, which you know, I've talked about before is I'm still not sure this team knows how to play um, in a game like this where a team comes in and, and is content to play for a draw because, you know, we've seen the, them use the high press so much, but it doesn't really work when a team is okay with conceding possession and is okay with, you know, getting 0-0. You know, Seattle wasn't a team trying to play the ball out of the back and, and do intricate plays to, to set up attacks. They were willing to, again, as you talked about, you know, Schmetzer was, was willing to play this game to a 0-0 and they did it exactly that way with, you know, blocking up the middle and um it just seemed like the revolution didn't have the creativity to to break that down and, and i'm not sure you know they have much of a game plan 
when they face opponents like this. Um, I, I'm not sure there's going to be too many games this season where they see that, but we've seen it a couple times this year now where teams have come in and content to play for the draw, and the high press just doesn't seem to work in that situation. You know, would you agree that the Revolution are still kind of lacking a, a second option of, of style of play? Yeah, I totally agree because I think it's uh, it, it kind of remind, reminded me a little bit of the of the Columbus game where they were basically in the same predicament. I think uh, you know it was Greg Berhalter who basically looked like he had his team basically ready to ready to take that zero zero draw, and the fact that they got that late goal to beat the Revs one nothing was well. I think they were they were a little startled themselves to be able to get three points out of that game. So um, it did remind me a lot of that. Uh, it did remind me a lot of that that Columbus game where um, you know the Revs just kind of struggled. They they struggled against an opponent who was ready. Who is, uh, you know, more than willing to uh, to to give them space, but just you know bunker in and just uh, and just uh, you know play for the draw, and that's that's exactly what Seattle did. And I think that, you know, going forward, you're you're right. You're not going to have a lot of teams that do that, but in the, especially when you're playing teams like that at home, you know, it's important to get those home points. You know, the Revs are, are in fifth place at the moment, and they really have to uh, figure out a way to get max points at home, especially, you know. If you look at what they did last year, I mean, almost, you know, they got so many, they, 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 they did so well at home and granted, yes, they're doing better on the road this year, but you really got to maximize those opportunities to get home points because, you know, especially with the second half of the season, with the second half of the, of the schedule upon us and so many road games, you know, it's even more important to make sure that you don't let points at home slip away. And I think that the refs have to, uh, figure out a way to, uh, to basically counteract the teams that are. They're willing to bunker in and um, you know play for the draw. Yeah, and and that takes me to you know the revolution substitute in this one, and which seemed to be you know trying to do, trying to find something to create uh, going forward. And the first sub was a halftime sub for, for Gabriel Somi coming on for for Dielna. Were you surprised by that substitution? I don't think Dielna had his best game, um, but it's interesting in a, in a zero zero match that they take off a left back and, and bring on Somi, who you know as we've discussed ad nauseum on this podcast, uh, has been underperforming for the revolution. Yeah, the Revs didn't uh, publicly comment on it, but uh, but somebody did ask Friedel about it after the game, and Friedel did say that uh, Somi, I mean, not Somi, uh, Dionna essentially asked out of the game. He apparently wasn't feeling well, according to the uh, to the halftime, to the halftime uh, report uh, on the broadcast. So it sounded like something where, you know, Friedel said that he was ready to go. Uh, he passed the fitness test before the game. Um, I don't know what the cir- circumstances were that led Dielna to be asked off, but obviously we saw that at halftime. So I think it was more, it was more of an idea of the fact that I think it was had more to deal with Dielna saying that he wasn't feeling well. Um, we don't know much more information other than that, but um, but the fact that they weren't able to get more offense from Somi um, is, I think, just another it's just another example of the disappointment that a lot of, a lot of Rose fans are feeling with that signing because you have somebody who on paper is an upgrade from what you had and that was Chris Tierney and that you're even given 45 minutes to uh, to break down a team that's bunkered in still really can't generate much of, of anything as far as uh, as far as accurate crosses and what have you and maybe stretching the field so uh, it was a little disappointing I think it was obviously a sub that you know sounded like it was done out of necessity um, but you still want to see that sub you still want to be able to get you still need to get more from Somi in that kind of situation. Yeah, and to be fair, he got into himself into some good positions and was involved in the attack. But his crossing, as you said, um, was where he where he struggled. There were a couple of times where he got into the box and was in a position to cross, and he just couldn't beat a defender with his cross. And I think there was another one late in the game where the Revolution had a good attack, and he crossed it over just about everybody um, and kind of wasted a chance. Uh, so yeah, I think you do want to get more out of Somi, and particularly in a game like this, this is where you know maybe his defensive duties 
which have been exposed aren't you know as big against a team like Seattle that's kind of bunkering, um, and you'd like to see more of them offensively. And the other sub the Revs made was in the 55, 55th minute, bringing on Juan Aguadello for Scott Caldwell. It, you know, it made sense to me to, to go more offensive at that point and bring on Aguadello and you know add some some options to the offense, some scoring threats. Um, so I, I, you know, no fault in that one, but I also didn't think Aguadelo got involved as much as you were hoping in the tack. He, you know, he saw a lot of the ball, but, uh, didn't get a single shot off. Yeah. And he even admitted after the game that he, he really wasn't, you know, in hindsight, he said he would have done a little bit more to perhaps stretch the, uh, stretch, stretch the uh, defense, but, um, and, and maybe take on, take on, be a little more bolder taking on defenders. But, um, yeah, it was a little bit of a disappointing, a little bit of a disappointment because he wasn't really able to kind of really test Chad Marshall. I mean, you know, after the game, uh, I said that, he, you know, really Chad Marshall really played a heck of a game. And I think, uh, I think, you know, the, you're looking at the highlights again, you know, it, 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 the, it certainly seems that way um, where, you know, you had a guy as, as good as he really kind of like him and, and um, him and him and Kihi were basically essentially able to shut down the revs in the final third. So um, you would have liked to have seen more from Agadella, but yeah, I, I think that he himself wasn't, uh, happy with his own performance and that, you know, um, you know, it's just a matter of preparing. It's a matter of preparing, uh, these guys for these kinds of situations. And I think that, uh, Friedel going forward, will will do well to kind of show, show his team the film from this game and from the Columbus game and say, Hey, this is, this is what we did. This is what we need to do better. And hopefully that they, uh, they take the message to heart. The thing I really didn't understand is the lack of the use of the third sub because, you know, on the bench you had Wilfred Zahibo, a guy who's got three goals this year and is, you know, even as a defensive midfielder has contributed to the offense, um, particularly a big threat in set pieces of which, you know, this was one of those games where a set piece could have decided it. Um, you had Christian Namath who had been, you know, starting a lot of games recently um, and, you know, could have provided a different option in the offense route to the bench. You had Zachary Haravu who, you know, as we've heard in the past, Brad Friedel thinks is, you know, their best number 10 backup. Uh, we didn't see anything <laughs> from him. And yeah, Brandon Bai, who, you know, earlier in the season contributed a bit, um, you know, as a right midfielder and, and has some pace and could change the game. So you really had four options that, in theory, could have done something to, to help this offense. And, you know, certainly on a hot day, uh, you know, could have helped with some, some tired legs to get somebody out there. Were you surprised that, you know, again, in this game, that's 0-0, um, you know, late on that we didn't see one of these guys come off the bench to try to add to the offense against the Seattle team that really wasn't pushing much offensively and really wasn't providing too much of a threat. Yeah, I'm just surprised in a game like that, like you don't see that third sub. And it's not like they were, there were a lack of options. I mean, you went through all of them. And I think that the most intriguing option for me probably would have been bringing uh, Zahibo off the bench because of his uh, effectiveness on set pieces. Because if you look back at that, you know, at that Columbus game, um, you know that it was decided by a set piece. The the crew got a set piece off of uh, you know off of a corner kick, um, and I you know I could see the revs doing the exact same thing, get putting themselves in a position where you have a big target like Zahibo. Just that's all you got to do. You just you get the free kick, or you just got to get that um that corner kick, and you have you have a big target there in a the box ready to uh, ready to test the likes, uh, ready to test you know a Chad Marshall. So I mean. You know, it was surprising that you have that sub. Why not use it? Obviously, what was what? Obviously, what you're doing at that point is not working to break down the uh, is not working to break down the Seattle, uh, you know, the uh, Seattle shape. And I just, you know, for the life of me, I, you don't get to carry those subs into the next game. I mean, you might as well use it unless unless Friedel had some, you know, some uncertainty about what you know about what uh, you know that kind of sub would have done to his defense. I'm not sure. Maybe he was. Maybe he was cl- holding his cards w- a little too close to the vest, but um, you know, at that point, you really got to use that third sub. You, whether it, whether it's a Hebo, whether it's Namath, um, you know, one of those two players, I think, could have 
could have made an impact, but you know, we'll never know because you know, uh, Friedel never used them. So, um, you know, they get a point, but it should have been a three point game. They should have gotten all three points from that game. Yeah, and I think that's the key here is this really is a, a game where it's two points lost. Seattle hasn't been good this year. You know, the Revolution, as we talked about in the last podcast, run a, in the, the second game of a three game homestead uh, against the Seattle team that was coming in on short rest, having played twice uh, shortly before a Wednesday game and a Saturday game before that. Um, and, and, you know, again, coming in here willing to play for a draw and the revolution just didn't take advantage of, of a Seattle team. Um, and as we get forward after this next game home game, the revolution have a, a very road heavy schedule. So, uh, gotta be disappointing for them to only get one point out of this one. Um, but with that, we are in the, uh, summer transfer window now. So I wanted to talk about one of the rumors that, uh, recently surfaced. We talked last week about, uh, Boyan, the, the Stoke city player that formerly played in Barcelona, that Frank Lapper reported the revolution were, you know, potentially going after, um, and now another Stoke City player, Jeff Cameron, the Attleboro Mass native, um, is apparently on the radar. We heard recently that the Galaxy had made an offer for him. Uh, I think it was two million over two years or something like that, and and he rejected uh, that money apparently. Uh, but apparently, the Revolution are also interested in him. Um, and just just to note, the Revolution would have to probably trade up uh, to the in the MLS allocation order because the Galaxy have the top spot, and he would go through that. So the Revolution have to make a trade with them. Um, he's still under contract with Stoke, so unless Stoke released him for free, um, there would have to be a transfer fee involved. And the article on MLS Soccer um, mentioned that he probably wouldn't move for a total package of less than $6 million, uh, which is a lot of money for a guy that turns 33 this week. Uh, what do you make of all this, Brian? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a fun rumor. Um, obviously, it would make all the sense. I mean, dollars aside, it would make probably the most sense. Uh, to bring in a guy like Jeff Cameron, you know, local kid, a guy you can certainly market. Um, I know, I know that maybe he's maybe he's not. Obviously, he's not coming off the same kind of you know performance that Jermaine Jones came off of following the 2014 World Cup. So there isn't all that momentum going forward as the signings made. But um, I, I think he's. I think his signing does does move the needle. Does it move the needle the same amount as it did when they brought in Jones? Probably not. But it, I I still think locally it moves the needle because of the fact that he is a guy who did play in a World Cup. He's a local kid, and he certainly has he certainly has. Uh, you know, certainly the uh, the resume to uh, to warrant a million dollar contract. Um, but like you said, he's old. He's thirty. He's going to turn thirty three. Um, you know how much how much more can you get from a guy like that? Um, we saw the decline happen fairly rapidly with Jermaine Jones. Um, so there are some questions as to whether or not it's a smart signing to is, whether it is smart to give um, to give a guy like that uh, six million dollars over two years if that's if that's his asking price. Not taking into account the fact that you probably will also have to pay a transfer fee to Stoke. Um, it's only a lot of money to put into a guy who really isn't obviously a goal scorer. Um, obviously, he could solidify you in the back, um, but you know it's you know it's it'll be interesting to see what 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 if any team gives gives Jeff Cameron that kind of money uh, at his asking price for two uh, two years at six, sixty million for thirty for three million annually. So. Um, I can't see the Galaxy doing it. I certainly can't see the Revs doing it. Um, so, and plus the fact, like you said, you, they would have to trade up in the allocation order to to get dibs on them. So, um, it's a it's a cool rumor. Um, you know, from a soccer fan, it's a really cool rumor. It'd be cool to see him come come play in MLS here in New England. But um, you know, if he's asking that for that much, I mean, I just I don't see the Revs really budging on. I, I don't see the Revs really you know going meeting him at 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 his asking price. 
Yeah, so I agree with you at what you said at the beginning. That would be really cool to see you know Jeff Cameron, a Massachusetts native, back on this team. Um, but the price to me just doesn't make sense. If you're ending up paying you know six six plus million in salary to a guy that's you know thirty three, uh, who knows how much longer he has left at, at playing at a high level. Um, you know, worth noting that he you know, lost his starting spot. It seemed like with Stoke towards the end of the year, uh, he lost his starting spot with the U.S. national team after a couple of poor performances in World Cup qualifying. You know, like you said, the momentum of what he's coming off of isn't what was there with Jermaine Jones at all. Um, with that said, I do think he'd be you know a huge help for this team. He'd be you know, great up great upgrade whether he was playing center back whether he's playing right back whether he's playing midfield um and he's played all those positions for uh for stoke this year and that brings me to the other question where do you think he would play if he came into this team because um in particularly towards the end of this year for stoke he was seeing a lot of time at defensive midfield uh, and that's an area obviously the revs have put a lot of money into this year already with sahibo and, and kai sato um and you know of course scott caldwell plays there too uh, do you think that's the role that you'd see a, a Jeff Cameron play if you, you know, <laughs> thinking, you know, getting way ahead of ourselves here if he was to come to the Revolution? Yeah, I think defensive midfield probably probably suits him best. Um, obviously, you know, the Revs could certainly use an upgrade at, at center back and at right back. Um, but I think I think he'd be most effective as a defensive midfielder if you pair him with a guy like uh, Luis Caicedo, who just has been just basically run his socks off these since signing. I mean, I think that's a that's a great one-two punch in the central midfield. Um, with him and uh, with him and Cameron, if if they were to acquire Cameron, um, I think I think defensive midfield makes the most sense. Um, certainly, you're going to get much much better distribution. Uh, Cameron's always been a pretty good passer out, out from that spot, and um, and I just think that uh, I think that's that's where he can help you the most. Um, you know, and I think that's that's probably where the Revs probably envision him. Now, you know, again, is he worth worth uh, you know six million over two years? I'm probably not, but. Um, if you can get him to come down and you can get him to uh, to sign and you're having him as your defensive midfielder, um, I think this team's playoff chances improved dr- uh, drastically, especially given how tough their uh, their their uh, schedule looks down the stretch. Now, now here's my question for you, and also in the context of you know the both the Red Bulls and New York City FC having lost coaches midseason, you know if the Revolution, given where they are now and that they're performing pretty well, but I don't think any of us would consider them a true contender at this point. Would a Jeff Cameron ignoring any other potential moves be enough to put the Revolution over the edge where you could actually put them in the contender conversation? I think yes. Um, I think. I think given given the uncertainty in the Eastern Conference, given the fact that, you know, Patrick Vieira and Jesse Marsh are both gone, um, I certainly think th- that kind of movement certainly makes certainly makes it easier for the Revs to uh, to clinch the play to get that playoff spot. Um, but again, the tough thing, the tough thing is going to be those uh, those last few games um, going into August, September and October. It's just it's so road heavy. I know I think offhand I don't have the schedule in front of me that I know they have to go to Atlanta on the road. Um, they obviously have to go to uh, New York City FC on the road. They have to go to the, um, they have to go a lot of places on the road, and it's not going to be an easy spot. But I do think that you know, even even if he doesn't, even if Cameron doesn't automatically make them, I guess, put them over the edge. I think that he certainly helps them, um, and I I don't know if he helps them enough to where it's warranted where you know he's going to be me- making millions of dollars. I'm not really sure if that's that's good value. Maybe it's good value for the rest of the season. I don't know if it's good value for the entirety of his contract. They do happen to sign him, but um, certainly I think he helps them. Um, and I think that combine that with the fact that they've looked better on the road this year than they have last year. Um, I think he does. I think he does put them, uh, make them a legitimate contender going down the stretch. 
Yeah, and the positives here too are that if you did sign him, he wouldn't be taking up an international roster spot. So there's there's yep. that. Um, but the real question to me, in addition to the salary, is what do you have to trade to the Galaxy uh, to to move up to that number one spot? Because this isn't a question of you know the Revolution having the second spot, which I think is what happened when uh, they got Namath. Um, this is the Revolution having the eighth spot. So you know you you trade with the Galaxy, they're moving down seven slots. It's not like the next guy that comes through they'll be first in line. Um, you know, so you know, even if things don't work out with them landing Cameron, that first spot is still very valuable to them. Uh, I, I'm just curious, what what would it take to get the Galaxy to to make that trade? Because I have trouble, you know, figuring out. I don't think the Galaxy value draft picks based on you know what we've seen from them in the past few years. Maybe I'm wrong there, um, but you know, in addition to you know that that price that Jeff Cameron is going to cost you salary wise, you probably have to give up a decent amount of allocation money. I would think, right? Yeah, I'm, I, I, that's the first word that came to mind. Money, like it, it's going to take a lot of money. Because um, you're right, they they really don't value the draft the same way that a lot of other teams value drafts. Certainly not the way that the Revs value the draft. Um, so I think it would take a, a ton of allocation money. But then again, the Revs have that have a lot more alloca- allocation money to play with after the Lee Win deal. So I mean, it's not like they're 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 short on that. It seems like they certainly have plenty to to use. I don't know if it'll be enough to uh, to to wiggle to get the uh, to to wiggle out that first uh, that first spot in the allocation order from them, but. Um, they certainly have way more money to play with than they did, you know, two months ago. So, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see what it would take. I think it'll take money. I don't know if the the Galaxy would demand a player. Um, I could see them asking for perhaps maybe Kellen Rowe, um, you know, a local kid. Uh, I don't know where Kellen Rowe would fit in the Galaxy, um, but um, I could certainly see them asking for it. Certainly money, um, and maybe they do ask for, uh, you know, one of their better play- uh, a guy like Kellen Rowe or. Or um, you know maybe they ask for Fergunis and I, I I think personally that, that Fergunis is is untouchable but um, I could certainly see them asking for one of those two if not both in allocation money to get that to to get that first spot in the allocation order. Yeah, and to me at the end of the day there's there's definitely a price at which it would make sense to sign Jeff Cameron. He'd be a huge boost to this team, but you know mm-hmm. just on paper what you're looking at right now the potential where you'd have to give up a significant amount of allocation money you know and or maybe a player just to move up in the order and then the salary you'd have to give to jeff cameron you know if you if you if the revolution can go ahead and, and look at that and honestly not think that's going to put them in a tough position going forward where you know in the offseason if they want to add some more signings to get themselves over the top next year um, they can still do that you know and if they're in a situation where I'm not sure if you know Cameron's looking for a, a two-year contract or a three-year contract, but if they're in a situation where there's a big drop-off in, in Cameron's play, you know, which could happen as soon as next year at his age, um, yeah. that you know you're not just screwing yourselves over and you can't do something to fix that. Um, so that, that for me, that's the, the real question here: is is at what level are you not are you you know not giving up too much money? Uh, because I do agree that he's a guy that could you know I'm not sure you'd put them in the conversation as a true MLS Cup contender, but I, he gets them over the edge where I don't think. You know, right now, I think this team, if they finish you know, fifth in the standings, is probably going for an exit in the wild card round. Um, but if you add a guy like Jeff Cameron, I think they can certainly make some noise in the playoffs. So uh, I, I'm very interested to see how this plays out. It, you know, again, it would be great to see them sign a guy from Massachusetts, but the the money is just seems kind of crazy to me because this is this is you know I believe that's is this more than Jermaine Jones got when he was here? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think Jermaine was uh, I think Jermaine was two years, no, 18 months. I think he was. A little over five million, so maybe it's 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 certainly in the neighborhood. I don't know the exact number, but um, I, I think that you know honestly, I think that if all things are equal, I think that if if he were to take if he were to take a discount, so to speak, 
um, and and budge on that on that figure, um, that six million dollar figure. I think he budges for the galaxy before he budges for the revs, because um, you know because the because the galaxy do have Dominic Kinnear on their staff. Um, and I know that he's told me in the past that he, he loves playing for Dominic Kinnear and he's told me in the past that, um, you know, he would come back to MLS to play for him. Um, I think that's how close the bond is between, uh, Jeff Cameron and, and his former coach over at, over in Houston. So I think that if all things are equal, if he does take a discount, um, or if he does budge on that number, I think he would budge on that number to sign with the galaxy just to be reunited with Dom Kinnear. But that's just my, that's just my, that's, that's my own take. I, I, I only base it on, on what, um, on the conversations that I've had with him like two years ago so so uh, i'll readily admit it's not something that you know that i i know for certain i think that it's just based pure speculation on my part yeah no i i agree with you i think you know if he was going to take a, a pay cut um it seems like the galaxy are a more desirable destination and you know, get, getting to play with the stars there and a coach that he's 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 played with before um so i, I don't know it'll be very interesting to to see what happens here because it seems like there's a good chance he could come back to MLS rather than playing in championship soccer next year at this point in his career. Uh, the timing makes sense from that. Um, but with that, I did want to look at the Revolution's next game, which just so happens to be against the LA Galaxy, um, who are coming off a 4 nothing win over the Columbus crew, which the Revolution had to have been happy to see um, since the crew are, are really the rival right now for the fourth seed in the East, which I, I think um, is a realistic target for the Revolution and maybe you know the the most realistic target playoff wise, you know, the, look, looking at who's ahead of them in the standings, I think Columbus is the one team above them that I think realistically they could knock off. So for the revolution, it was good to see the galaxy do that, but also troubling because the revolution now have a game against the galaxy side that hadn't been performing particularly well, but is now coming off a resounding victory over a Columbus crew team that, you know, is at a similar level of, of as the revolution. And actually now the galaxy are on a, you know, not very exciting or very promising, but a five-game unbeaten streak. Um, and when that unbeaten streak, you know, includes a home draw against DC United and a home draw or a game at San Jose in which they were up by two goals and, and tied three-three. Um, you know, maybe not the the best five-game unbeaten streak you've ever seen, but this is a Galaxy team that, um, as we talked about before, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic is always very dangerous, and he, he scored now in four straight games. Uh, what do you see from the Revolution? In this game, score-wise, what's your prediction there? And, and do you think we'll see any lineup changes, um, particularly given the, the disappointing result this weekend? Well, I certainly hope it's nothing like last night's game because last night's game was 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 really awful to watch. And uh, uh, so I'm hoping hoping for a little bit more uh, a little more action from from both sides. Um, I can certainly see uh, the revs. Obviously, the revs certainly have to game plan for uh, for Zlatan being there. Being there, it seems like he's played. He's played on on other artificial surfaces, so it doesn't seem like we're it doesn't seem like we're gonna that uh, you know we're gonna see a, a repeat of what Thierry Henry did for years, um, refusing to play at refusing to play at Gillette Stadium. So um, and also don't don't sleep on Romain Alessandrini because he came off the bench yesterday and he scored two goals. That was pretty crazy. Um, so he's obviously a threat as well. Um, you know, coming off a game and obviously coming off a game where they score four, four goals against a team like the like, like Columbus is uh, certainly going to give them a lot of positive momentum uh, going into the game. That said, um, you know, I could also see them t- picking their spots because even though they're not in the same situation as uh, as Seattle was, where Seattle was coming off of uh, coming off that that tough stretch coming into this game, um, they do have to fly three thousand miles to get here. Uh, you know, the Galaxy um, have. You know, come here and they've they've played decent soccer, so I don't think it'll be the same exact game plan that uh, 
that Schmetzer will uh, that, that that Schmetzer employed yet in yesterday's game with the um, you know with Seattle. So um, my prediction, I'll say I'll say this game is two two. Um, I think both te- both teams get chances. Both teams convert on those chances, um, and I think that the Revs defense is going to certainly be tested. And I think that um, um, I think it's going to be a game where uh, where both teams are going to be able to get play a lot more free, a lot more looser than they did in yesterday's game. And um, I can certainly see plenty of goals. I, I can see a two two game uh, between Galaxy and Revs. You see any lineup changes from Friedel in this one? Um, I could see him. I could see him maybe switching uh, Caldwell, maybe switching Caldwell, uh, taking out Caldwell and putting Rowe in central midfield, and then maybe starting Agadello on the right. I could see that as a possibility. Um, depending upon Dion's health, um, I think that Dion will will be back at that at the left left back spot. Um, but if he's not ready to go, I can see obviously Somi uh, reclaiming that spot out on the left. But um, you know, if everybody's healthy, I think that the, the one change you will see is Rowe. Row in uh, Caicedo in the in the central midfield and and having uh, Agudelo out on the right. So, so MLS All Star Wilfred Zahibo remains in the zo- in the doghouse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I look at this game and look at the Galaxy side as one that's struggled, with the exception of this, you know, past week's game against Columbus defensively. Um, while offensively, they've had moments where they've really clicked and moments where they've looked poor. Uh, but it's it's troubling. Thing, thing, Galaxy get a four nothing victory against Columbus, um, get the Dos Santos brothers back from the Mexico national team because you know the one knock in the Galaxy is that there's been a lot of talent in offense in particular for this team, but they haven't been able to put it together. And it seemed like against the Crew, you know they maybe still weren't hitting on all cylinders because I don't think the the Dos Santos brothers were as involved um, as maybe you'd like to see them be. Uh, but for them to put away four goals for Zlatan to be as involved as he was for Ola. Kamar, a guy that's you know been a double-digit goal scorer in this league uh, historically, um, and as you mentioned, Alessandri, Alessandrini off the bench scoring two goals in 30 minutes. Um, this is a very, very potent Galaxy attack. So I, I do think the Galaxy are going to come in here, um, and you know with a week's rest, I think they'll come out a little bit more offensively than Seattle did. Um, you know, Seattle, you know, despite playing for a zero-zero draw, was a team that was in need of points. Um, so yes, the schedule kind of dictated that they do that, but you know, they're, they're 10 points back in the standing. The, the Galaxy um, is one point back out of the playoff spot. Um, so they also need points, not as badly as Seattle. But I, I think they're a confident team right now. And with the star power that they have, they have to come into New England and, and play for more than you know, 0-0 draw. Uh, I think the Revolution are going to struggle against their attack. I actually think this is going to be kind of a, a barn burner, 3-3, back and forth game. Exciting to watch and very much the opposite of the Seattle game. Maybe I'm a bit too hopeful, but, but I, I can't see this game playing out the way the Seattle game did. Uh, so that'll be interesting. And, and for me, um, I definitely think we're going to see some lineup changes. Uh, I think what you're saying with, with Rome moving into the middle and Aguadelo starting, that might happen. Or we might see Caldwell stay out there and Aguadelo just filling in for Rowe on the right. Um, I think they need to do something because the offense just wasn't clicking in that game. And uh, certainly this year, Brad Friedel has not been hesitant to make changes when needed. Um, I you know I wonder what the deal is with Christian Namath if you know if a good practice could get him back in here and same with Zahibo. Um but that's you know the one the one move I expect to see is that Aguadelo comes in whether it's for Caldwell or Rowe uh, and they they make that change there and and I agree that Dielma if he's ready to go will probably get the start again um, because I don't think Somi did enough to to earn more playing time as a starter at left back uh, based on that performance um, and with that did you have any shout outs from the the past week? Well, I have to. I do have to shout out the uh, 
the fireworks technicians at the revs at, at Gillette Stadium last night for providing some form of entertainment uh, after after a pretty dull 90 minutes. So, uh, so I do have to shout them out. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because Friedel, <laughs> Friedel after, after the game actually uh, said uh, if anyone stayed awake for the game, uh, which I thought was kind of funny. So um, so I do want to shout out the uh, the fact that the, that the crafts plan obviously with, with coinciding with the Fourth of July, obviously. But um, but shout out to the uh, to the fireworks technicians for giving giving the uh, the crowd some form of entertainment after a pretty pretty drab and dull zero zero game. Yeah, and and for me, I no no local shout out, but just like last week, I just again have been extremely excited by what this World Cup we've seen, uh, which I was not looking forward to to the extent that I usually do because the U.S. wasn't in it. But I've actually found this to be the most exciting World Cup, you know, ignoring the fact that the U.S. isn't in it. But you know, from a neutral perspective, the most exciting World Cup I've ever seen. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm very excited for the semifinals, even though uh, I think Croatia and England are both probably significantly underdogs against whoever wins the other semifinal going into the final. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a heck of a World Cup and the fact that you have basically four of the strongest teams already out. I mean, it's just uh it's just insane. Um happy to see England get to the semis, I'm not going to lie. I don't I don't know what it is. Uh you know, it seems like uh it seems like the English English supporters are always kind of down on the on the three lions and the fact that they were able to reach it this far um you know, it's, it's been nothing short of amazing. I kind of enjoy that storyline. So, uh, but I still have, uh, I still have, you know, given the fact that that with now that we're down to our last four, I do have Belgium winning it all, uh, purely for the fact that I had them advancing to the final and playing Germany. Obviously, Germany's Germany's gone, long gone, but uh, but I do think that Belgium is going to win it this uh, this year. It was disappointing, a little bit disappointing to see uh, the one MLS representative left uh, in, in the World Cup, Gustav Svensson, for Sweden get knocked out. But I, I'm also excited to, to see England going far this year after you know so many years of, of disappointment for them. Um, and I think it's cool, too, that you know none of these teams, with the exception of France, have won a World Cup in any recent history. You have to go back to the 60s for England. You know, Belgium's never won it. Uh, Croatia's never won it, and you know, France won it in '98, which I guess is, is relatively recent in World Cup terms. But you know, otherwise, you know, there's a good chance you're going to see someone that hasn't won a World Cup in a long time win it this year. So I, I think that's exciting, and, and you can't look past the incredible talent of Belgium, you know, or France for that matter. Uh, both of those teams would be worthy champions. Um, but with that, the Revolution are home again this weekend, as we said, against the LA Galaxy on July 14th. That game at 7:30. Um, so you know, chance to see Zlatan Ibrahimovic, um, and they follow that one up with a, a Wednesday game at Minnesota and another Saturday game at the Red Bull. So the, the tough road schedule begins after that. Uh, and so this is a, a crucial game for the, the revolution to get three points. Uh, Brian, thanks again for joining us on this week's show. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us. As always, you can send us questions at Revolution Recap. You can follow Brian uh, at Brian O'Connell 21. You can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. Thanks again. <laughs>